having good church is a way of life. And you might think it's odd that I'm saying this, but it may not always be jumping and shouting and running and clapping and stomping. I can't honestly say that that really qualifies whether we had good church or not. But I will tell you what will qualify that is that you touch God and God touches you and you realize the devil's still a liar, the world is not my friend, and I am going to heaven. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Wonderful God, wonderful people, wonderful promises. It's a great life. We need to have special prayer here for the next few moments for Brother Hastings and his family are in Arizona. His grandfather... Um, he told me that his grandfather had been living for God for many years, but I did not know until several days ago that his grandfather was actually an apostolic preacher for up to 45 years. It's an amazing thing, but he passed away uh, day before yesterday, and we want to pray. We want to pray for the entire family, that God would comfort them and be with them in a special measure. Would you lift your voice with us? Lift your hands. Let's pray together. Father, by the authority of the name of Jesus. We understand that it's, it's an appointment. It's a divine appointment when another warrior is called home. But we pray for the everlasting arms of God, the God of peace, the God of hope, the God of all comfort. would embrace this family at their time of loss and be with them in a special measure. We ask it, Father, in the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. We also want to pray for our dear sister, Sister Joy. Um, had surgery this last week. She's still uh, in the hospital. We want to be praying for her. Would you, one more time, lift your hands. Let's pray. Sister Joy had hip surgery. By the authority of the name of Jesus, we pray for your comfort, your strength, your virtue. To touch her. Give her a speedy recovery. Have her back in the house of God. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. And one more prayer. Thank you for standing so long with us. I got a text message right before service from Brother Pyatt. His wife is having a horrible bout with her situation. He said, Pastor, we just really, really need God to move. And so I want you one more time to lift your hands and your voice. How many of you believe God is a healer? Ladies and gentlemen, it's beyond belief with me. I know God's a healer. I know God is a healer. I know God is a healer. God, I pray for Sister Pyatt right now by the authority of the name of Jesus. And I pray, oh God, that the promises of the Word of God are materialized right now that you would touch her, God. 
I believe you, God. I believe you, God. I believe you, God. I believe I will not take no for an answer. I know my God's a healer. I know my God's a way maker. I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. Come on, clap your hands with me right now by the authority of the name of Jesus. I believe you, God. I believe you, God. I believe you, God. I'm going to repeat what I said a little earlier today. You know, every great apostolic church has a very strong sense of culture, and this church is no different. But you have, to keep, you have to keep it all in proper perspective that the culture is not the main thing. If God creates situations in your lives, it might be that he's trying to get you to quit relying on the frivolous, shallow ways that you've always gotten through dilemmas and problems and finally discover that he is a waymaker. It is not going to hurt you. It is not going to hurt you. But you're going to have to get a hold of yourself and say, I am not going back to the toys. I am not going back to immaturity. I am not going back to shallowness. I am not going to live in denial. I'm going to believe the Word of God. My God, I feel the minister here today for a minute. God is for you. God is for you. Come on, somebody. It is a major, major graduation day when you really do push away from the culture and say, I need God for myself. And you might be surprised to discover that God's been waiting on that a long time. And you might also be surprised how quick it was to get a miracle and an answer from God. Let's lift our hands and love him again. You're greatly loved. You're cherished. You're cherished. God is not looking to get rid of you. God is not looking to hurt you. God is not looking to punish This Tuesday night, there will be no life class as we know it, but bring your children. And we are going to have, we're going to turn brother and sister Jordan loose and let them have children's church. And the adults are going to go across the street and just do whatever needs to be done, vacuum and clean. If you want to just sit there and look around and pray, you can do that too. If you want to just sit there, you can do that. If you want to just aimlessly walk around, you can do that. Just show up. In Jesus' name. It's starting to look like 
next Sunday will be our last service in this building. think we should leave in style. And so I cannot tell you exactly what we're going to do, but we're going to we're going to do the unexpected, the inexplainable. So invite everybody you possibly can to this service next week. Most churches only go through one change in the entirety of their history. That is a, that is a statistic that's well proven. Most churches only go through one building change in their entire history. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a big deal. And we're not just doing it for ourselves. By the mercy and the grace I didn't even ask for this. God is the one that put me here. I would have gone anywhere he told us to. You would have been the same way. But God is saying, I want everybody to know that what's happening there can happen anywhere. Come on, clap your hands. Come on, Mom and Dad. One of your children's going to be an example. Somebody on the job's going to be the example. God's got favorites. That is so hard for some people to believe. But the scripture is so replete. I want to be God's favorite. If God's going to give a brownie star, I want it on me first. Pastor, you're selfish. I know it. Pray for me. Genesis chapter number 12. I hope you're as glad to see me as I am to see you. You have to understand, I've been, I've been trapped in Florida for the last four days. And now I know why everybody wants to go down there just every chance they get. I'm sitting in a chair... That's a miracle in itself that I'm sitting still. It's 85 degrees. A bird is singing. The sun is shining. My phone is not going off. And I'm thinking, I finally got it. I don't need Disneyland, I don't need the Three Musketeers. Just give me the Holy Ghost and let me sit in a chair with it being 85 degrees. I finally got the understanding. So if I act strange, it's because I've been in Florida. Genesis chapter 12. I just have felt in the Holy Ghost to do a little teaching here today. A little teaching here today. Genesis chapter 12. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted that you're here. You're our, you're our numero uno. And uh, 
I, didn't, I can't remember. Did you mention the free coffee? Okay. Free coffee. And it's not just any coffee. It's the best coffee. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou, thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Skip down to verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was in the land, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And I simply want to entitle this for the next little while, The Altar. The Altar. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for your great spirit. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. Thank you for the trials. Thank you for the tribulations. Thank you for the temporary problems. Thank you for whatever you're doing. Don't ever stop. Even if I don't understand it, don't stop. But I pray for the understanding. I pray for the knowledge. I pray for the wisdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. It's almost as if Genesis chapter number 12 is a brand new book. It's not, but it's God is doing something here that he has not done heretofore. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, God definitely was operating under covenant definitely in dispensations, dispensations and covenants. Covenants more, being far more personal, but dispensation is a, a theological breaking down of different time frames in the Word of God in which God dealt with humanity regarding sin and faith. But there was almost like God was dealing with people in groups. Most notably, you might remember in Genesis chapter 11, just the previous chapter, that they were all of one mind and nothing was withheld from them. They built a tower. Some biblical expositors believe that NASA and now even Tesla is an extension of man trying to get closer to the stars which the tower represented. But nonetheless, God brought about a worldwide dispersal. There was a diaspora 
in which the only way that God could get them to disperse, which was his will, was to make it to where nobody could understand what anybody else was saying. And I don't want to spend a lot of time, but if we work backwards and go to Genesis 10 and Genesis 9, and then you had the flood and so on and so forth, God dealt with mankind a particular way up until Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12 is unique because God focuses on one guy. And this becomes the template. This sets uh, a divine precedent in how God deals with people even today. As you and I are in this room together, we're both sensing God's presence together. We've worshiped God. We've magnified him together. And Abram is called the father of the faithful because he is still being used as God's pattern for how God communicates and how God blesses people. For example, um, the most notable Old Testament figure in the New Testament, if I was to ask you, if we were to just to take a little survey here this morning, you would say, well, Adam, of course, because Adam is the one that got us into all this trouble. Adam is not the most often quoted or mentioned Old Testament figure in the New Testament. Then you might be prone to say Moses, because Moses was the greatest human leader in the Old Testament. He led God's people through four separate regimes from bondage into liberation. But Moses is not the most often mentioned Old Testament figure in the New Testament. You might even be prone to say, well, it must be David then. He killed the giant. He was definitely the most um, courageous, the greatest leader, the greatest military strategist, psalmist, anointed of God. There's more prophecies mentioned about David than anybody else in the Old Testament. It must be David. David is not the most often named individual in the New Testament. The most often named person in the Old Testament, mentioned in the New Testament, is Abraham. Because Abraham sets in motion the characteristics and the spiritual degree of faith that God is looking for on an individual basis from you and I. Um, somebody would say, well, I want to pattern myself after the Apostle Paul, and I want to pattern myself after the Apostle James or Peter or any of the other notable uh, leaders of the Christian church. I would say that that would be great. However, you, you have to be careful that you're staying in alignment with what the New Testament is actually teaching us, and it's teaching us that we should pattern ourselves like Abraham. I want to be clear about that. And so we're not given a lot of information, um, and I believe it's on purpose. Where the Bible is silent, there's a reason for that. Where the Bible has much 
explanation, there's a reason for that too. But here we have almost seemingly out of nowhere in Genesis 12 and 1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Ladies and gentlemen, God is still doing that today where he can find somebody that will believe that. If you're sitting here today and you, and you say, well, I, I've never seen that, I want to tell you that that does not mean that God's not doing it. See, that's where our world is. The world is saying, well, I don't believe that. Well, just because you don't believe that does not mean that God's not doing it. And furthermore, when you have a Bible study and you're sitting down with somebody and they say, you know, I just don't believe like you do. What they're saying is, they're not saying that they don't believe that. What they're saying is, I don't understand that. Ladies and gentlemen, Acts 2.38 is as plain as the nose on your face. Believing in one God is just as absolutely supernatural and natural as putting your foot, one foot above before the other one. I want to... It is a choice. The danger in our world is, is that people are, are, the power of personal choice is being controlled. And it's being controlled by the media. It's being controlled by voices. It's being controlled by segments of our culture in which people are losing the ability to rationalize and to, to use common sense and use their intellect and use the Word of God to exercise sound judgment. Everything is being parsed according to its, its, most, its, its most primal position in our culture, and it's designed to pit people one against the other. Well, I resist that spirit. It is spiritual wickedness that's working in high places. I understand what the Bible says. I understand who God is. I understand who I am. I understand who the devil is. I, come on, somebody. You only need to understand a few things in this book to finally get a picture of realizing I'm not believing the lies of that. I'm not believing the voices of this world. Oh, somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. Hallelujah. Out of thin air, seemingly, Abram is called of God to leave the familiar. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back and give you a scriptural, supernatural description of what's happening here. He is being invited by God to go into the unknown. He's going to have to leave his family. He's going to have to leave his inheritance. He's the firstborn, firstborn of his father, Terah. 
And he is in line to get the inheritance, and he's going to have to leave that. He's going to have to leave all of the plans and designs that his family had for him because he's going to follow God. You can already see why God would choose that as being unique and still being part of what God is doing in the world today. I have a family that lives in California. I am the only uh, saved person in my family that is married and has children in the church. If my family, my natural family, was to call me up and say, you need to leave that church, you need to leave what you know, you need to come and be a part of what we're doing, I would say, I am never going back. I am never going to be a part of that. And it doesn't mean I don't love them. Come on, somebody. See, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you will say that I am saying not to love your family, and that is not what God is saying. But God is saying, if any man leaves family and houses and the familiar for my namesake, you're not only going to get a hundredfold in this life, but in the next life, eternal life. You can hang out with people that are watching television and are absolutely oblivious to the devil and the world and spiritual darkness, but ladies and gentlemen, once your eyes have been opened, you cannot go back. You cannot fake it. You cannot act like it's not a big deal. You are forever changed. You might as well hang out with people that feel the same, believe the same, see the same, know the same, and go to heaven the same. Let's go ahead and shout for a minute. So Abram is on this journey. He's out in a place that is totally unfamiliar. He's in Canaan land. And I don't know why. The Holy Ghost the last several weeks has been putting this on my heart. But God's been doing it and so be it. But he is now in a place that is filled with enemies. They did not want Abram there. And so he just, stick with me, this, this is going to be so good. Um, the only thing that you're not allowed to turn off is your pacemaker. Okay, leave your pacemaker on, okay? Okay, I go like this. Okay, leave your pacemaker on. Leave your defibrillator, whatever that thing is. Just for obeying God. I don't even know how far he's out of town. I don't even know how far, but it's enough so that God knows he's persuaded. You know what the problem with, with a lot of people is? They leave the option available that there's a lot of different voices in our world. You go ahead and listen to all those voices, and you're going to be in a bigger mess than you are sitting here today. 
When you get to understand there's only one Lord, one faith, one voice, one God. And it's my duty for the rest of my life. As I begin to adjust the radar signal, that signal in my life, I want to hook up to that one voice. I want to hook up to that one signal. I want to hook up. They that hear my voice. Come on, clap your hands and give him the praise. I don't care what the media says. I don't care what Fox News says. I don't care what intellectualism says. I don't care what this world says. When Abram got out far enough, God appeared. Look at verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. That's a whole other world of information. I can't go there right now. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Look at verse 6. And Abram passed through the land under the place of Sychem. You want to know why that's important? Because when you get to John chapter number 4, the well that is in Samaria, it was only in Samaria because of the times of the Gentiles. That was originally Jewish. Because even the woman at the well said that our father Jacob was the one that purchased this well. That was in Shechem. Which meant because one man, one family member, one family member obeyed God. Hundreds, 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus. 2,000 years later, somebody is saying our father bought the land where this well was dug. It's a big deal when you say, I'm not, raising my, my, I'm not raising my kids according to what the public school is teaching them. I'm not raising my kid according to what the coach says. I'm not raising my kid according to what the world says. I'm not raising my family according. You're being invited. You can't, you, you, you can say, well, I'm following, I'm following Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, no, you got to follow Abraham. Even the Jews said, we have Abraham to our father. And Jesus said, no, your father's the devil. And you're going to do the works of your father. <laughs> what a rebuke. You think the pastor's hard? You couldn't, you couldn't handle the preaching of Jesus. He talked about hell way more than he talked about heaven. When Abram's far enough out of town, God appears. Look at verse 7. And the Lord appeared. You did your part. Now I'm going to do my part. Do you know how many people in this altar that I have prayed for and the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom or the discernment of spirits has mentioned into my spirit as I was praying for somebody to tell them, if you'll do your part, God will do his part. But it is amazing because there is such a strong human propensity 
to hear and not move. And we got our list of reasons. Well, Pastor, I'm just the messenger. We got all these reasons why we can't do what God said to do. But when he got far enough out where the God could see that he sold out, maybe the reason why God's not appearing is we're not sold out. You know, Pharaoh said, Moses, go ahead and go. But come back in three days. Moses kept coming back with the same message. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let them come out that they may worship God. Let them come. All right, just go ahead. Just make sure you bring them back. And God's saying, no, no, no. We ain't never coming back. I ain't never going back to the lies that used to control how I thought. When you really get a revelation of the voices that you have allowed to shape your thinking, you will be a tailor-made aisle runner, devil chaser, devil stomping, devil thumping. You won't need to have somebody pull up beside of you and the thumping go so hard that the car's rattling. You're going to be going, devil, I'm here to mess up everything that I possibly can for the rest of my life. But you got to get that revelation. When you finally get it, there's no going back. And Pharaoh said, you can take them. Just bring them back. And the devil's fine with you going to church on Sunday. The devil's fine with you coming to life class. The devil's fine with you looking the part. The devil's fine with you smelling good. But if you're thinking of like Abraham to just keep walking, the devil says, no, 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 no. No, you're not allowed to just keep walking. You're not allowed to just keep following. You're not allowed to follow that pillar of fire. You're not allowed to follow that cloud. You're not allowed to have quail from an eastern wind. You're not allowed to get water out of a rock. Come on. God will perform the supernatural if you'll keep walking. God will give you a new diet if you'll keep walking. God will put you in a new blessing if you'll keep walking. It's your move. Quit blaming the pastor and the church and everything. It's time for you to obey God. Clap your hands and give him the praise. You can do it. You can do it. You'll be glad you did it. Somebody! God gave Abraham direction. Abraham moved. So God showed up again. Only this time,
And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Abraham built an altar. In fact, if we had time this morning, we don't, but if we did, you would see that there is an entire historicity of Abraham building altars. Where did he, how, when, where? where we, we're not given any indication. Where, how did this man learn to build an altar? He came out of the Ur of the Chaldees. They were Babylonians. They were, they were polytheists. They were into myth, mythology. They did not believe in one God. Interesting little study we're going to do here. Let's go to the very next verse, which is where he goes to Bethel. He is still being directed by the voice. And he removed from thence unto a mountain. Everybody said mountain. That's going to play a big part in this. Just stick with me. On the east of Bethel. Stick with me. The word is Bethel, but Abraham did not coin the phrase Bethel. His grandson is the one. They coined the phrase Bethel. There's something interesting in the scriptures, and you, when as you begin to study the scriptures, you're going to see that people um, either they consecrate and dedicate a place or a person or a thing, and you will see that everything it's used retroactively. So it almost appears that Abraham is the one that named this place east of a mountain Bethel. Because Bethel, by definition, means house of God. But Abraham did not name it that. His grandson, Jacob, is the one that named it Bethel. But when God changes the name, he goes back, even when you were messed up, and said, that's not just Joe. That's my, oh, come on, somebody. I'm trying to do something right now. You got to get how God works. Okay, some of you are probably saying, where's the beef? I'm working on it. Where's the beef? Hang on. He pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Look at Genesis chapter 28 and verse number 19. This is Jacob, and he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was Luz, L-U-Z. When Abraham got there, 
in Genesis chapter number 13, it was called loose. It was not changed until Genesis chapter number 28. Big deal. It is a big deal because where the grandfather built an altar, the grandson built an altar. You see, there's too many people involved with American denominationalism that just want a one-generation wonder. God is in this thing for thousands of generations. God is just not happy with you sitting there, and I thank God that you're there. But God's saying, is there a family member that you got that we can get in this? Whether you got to reach in front of you and get your mom and dad, or you got to reach behind you and bring a cousin or a nephew, God says, let's connect this thing. Let's make this for a thousand generations. If you're going to sit here and dig a well, let's bring a family member to... Now, Jacob, in Genesis 28, was totally unaware of the fact that there had been an altar built there. He was given a dream, and he woke up out of the dream and said, surely was God was in this place, and I knew it not. He was very honest. But he was on enough, honest enough to build an altar there. And he said, I'm going to call this the house of God. This is not where he wrestled with the angel. That's when he comes back to Bethel. So altars were built. They are absolutely we talked about wells last week, and now we're talking about wells. Why is that significant? Because an altar is built up, and a well goes down. Don't get hurt. So Abram is building altars for relationship and direction. He is in a strange land. He is surrounded by enemies. He is surrounded by people that hate him. He's surrounded by people that would kill him if he didn't have so many men with him. And some of them, like Abimelech, what we talked about last week, they already understood. I'm not touching this guy. They were given dreams. You don't touch this man. You don't touch his wife. You leave him alone. But they hated him. And so Abram would build an altar. God would appear. He would get fresh direction. And that plotted his navigation through the unknown. Isn't that amazing? Let's break that down into a practical sense. If you're needing direction, the worst thing you can do 
is get lost in some trivial pursuit and live in denial. Because you are never going to move as a human being. Really, the substance of a human being is the invisible part of you. I'm looking at the physical part, and some of you are very blessed. But there is an innate, invisible part of you that I cannot see, and that is the part, that's the real person. That is the part of you that's going to go to heaven. And you cannot move forward as a human being, a singular individual part of the species. You are never going to move until you come out of denial. You will continue to walk in circles. The only thing that will change about you is your age. And I want you to know that time changed when Adam and Eve failed. When, time, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, time became the measurement of mortality. Instead of the scrapbook of spiritual pursuit and spiritual dominion and spiritual glory and spiritual relationship, and your life being a fount and a well and a testimony of what God was doing on a day-to-day basis. Now, that's not to make you feel bad if that's not happening. But maybe you're sitting here today and you need to make a few minor adjustments. See, there's a lot of people that were raised to look at Pentecostalism like it's a denomination. And I'm going to tell you, you cannot live this life according to the Word of God and live it like it's a denomination. It's impossible because it's living. It's breathing. It's powerful. It's alive. It's quick. It wants wants to be in your thoughts. It wants to be in your decision-making. If your decision-making has pushed God out of the picture then you're just happy to come and sit here. But I'm looking for Abraham today. I'm looking for somebody that's looking to build an altar and get fresh direction. And God has that for every one of us. I can't think of a more haunting, miserable human existence than to be sitting in a church like this and being exposed to reality And it never connecting the dots to where you become a partaker. And number two, to never rising out of our limited myopic thinking to really accept really what God is trying to do here, which is to go so far beyond the self-imposed limitations that we place upon ourselves and the debris of our prison houses that's built by the debris of our own failures and our own shortcomings. If you can build an altar, you will get direction. End of story. Clap your hands to give God the praise. It is that, it is so core. It is, come on, let's praise him. Come on, somebody really, you're getting direction right now. You may not feel like doing this. That's why week after week we let our flesh win. We let our carnality win. We let our mindset thing. And we're robbing ourselves of what God really has in our lives. And you can interview, well, what was church service like? Well, the pastor said I'm a horrible, ungodly, wretched person. pastor's not saying that. Pastor's saying, hey, come on, Abraham. 
I know the world's filled with people that hate us. And I'm not just talking about physical people. They're spirits. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Otisites, the Farsites, everything out there. The Gunsites. Those represented dark spiritual agencies that didn't want the church to walk in the unknown. Pastor, how are we going to do this? Pastor, how are we going to? If you're the type of person that you've never been raised to go beyond all that and realize there's a God that's bigger than those voices and there's a God that's bigger than those fears, you're always going to shoot for the minimalistic, a minimalistic form of Pentecost. I'm not putting you down today. You might think I'm doing the best I can. If you are, God bless you. But I'm looking for the Abrahams that are saying, you know what? God's got more. I'm out of here. God God's got something for me, I'm out of this. God's got power for me, I'm out of this. God's got a promise for me, I'm out of this. You can do it. You can have it. You can do it. Yes, you can. I rebuke every lying voice that's put you in that box. Somebody clap your hands right now. Somebody says, I refuse. I refuse it. I refuse it. I refuse it in Jesus' name. Man, these young guys running the aisles. Somebody said, oh, you ought to have those guys sit down. Why? So they can run the streets? People are running the streets and nobody says nothing. We, they run the aisles and they're off drugs and they don't want pornography on their phone. And they don't want, why don't we just go ahead and be what God wants us to be? Come on, somebody, build your altar. Roll up your sleeves and just get down to business and let God give you direction. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk about these altars. Noah was the only person before Genesis chapter 12 that's ever recorded built an altar. It might, 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 might kind of sort of be that maybe Abram got something from that in the lineage of it all. I don't know. Let's talk about these altars. These are altars that pre-existed before God told the nation of Israel to build altars. Okay? If you're, waiting for the, if you're waiting for the beef, we're here. How do you want it? Rare? Pastor, just like the Lord, I want to hear him say, well done. Well, I can burn it. In fact, Mama, don't let me touch the barbecue because I... All I know is where on and off is, and I just play dumb. Honey, I don't know how to barbecue that. I don't know what to do, and it's, it's always good. I know that's bad, but I'm just being honest. The only thing I'm good for is peeling a potato. If somebody's going to cook a masterpiece, I'm saying, honey, I'm over here, and it's all yours. When she says, honey, it's time to clean the garage, it's all yours, and I'm over here, that's my deal. And young people, you need to clean your rooms. Amen. Clean your bedroom. Amen. Keep your attitude right. Amen. Come on, Mom and Dad. Amen. Keep your spirit right. 
your mom and dad go into your room in the morning and it looks like a picture of Hiroshima, you're in trouble. Clean your room. You might get your privileges. If your mom and dad say give up your cell phone for a day and you threaten to run away, No, let's get this straight. The kid doesn't tell Abraham what's going on. Abraham, tell, come on, somebody. Let's get this thing in order so we can have the blessing of the Lord. Let me tell you how perverted the world is. The world wants to pollute your child and then say, don't tell your mom and dad. I rebuke. I want to say it as loud as I can. I rebuke that spirit by the authority of the name of the living God. My God, I feel a righteous indignation coming up in me right now. The devil can't have your kids. Not with me as the pastor. Come on, somebody can lift your voice. Somebody clap your hands. It's time for a revolution. It's time for an apostolic revolution. All right, you can be seated. The idea of an altar among the Jews came from Abram. I do not know where he learned to build these things. I do not understand where he even came up with this, but he did. And that became a reference point. As the patriarch. However, in the book of Exodus, when the nation of Israel was just about to come into the promised land and solidify their unique spiritual statehood in the earth, God told Moses, He said, There's going to be a dwelling place for my glory among the people. And there will be two altars. One of them is the altar of sacrifice. The other one is the altar of incense. One is in the outer court. One is in the holy place. They both burn things. The altar of sacrifice was for the burnt offerings, the sin offerings that were to be given to the priests. The altar of incense was for the burning of incense as a sweet-smelling savour, as a type of prayer. Thus, describing for us that just like in the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew chapter number 6, he described personal, private prayer. But on the day of Pentecost, we find them in the upper room praying together. There is, in in the apostolic truth, there is a personal prayer life that has to be maintained in private. And then there is a public prayer that takes place every time we gather together. That is healthy. In the Old Testament, it was the personal individualism of Abram that built an altar. But then God said, I'm going to build that altar when it comes to my people. And they will keep the glory of God in their midst. 
There's always this unique balance between the personal and the private and then the corporate and the community. Clap your hands and give God the praise. It has to be that way if you're going to be spiritually healthy. But what were these personal altars? What kind of, what did this altar look like that Abram built unto God? And it says it over and over and over again. He built an altar unto God. He built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. He built, he built it. His son built an altar. His grandson built an altar. What did they look like? In the book of Exodus, when God begins to describe, one was to be made brass that was exposed to the elements. The other one was to be overlaid with gold made out of shittim wood in the holy place. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse number 24. This is what God said. This is before the brazen altar was ever conceived or even explained. This is before the altar of incense. This is the unique individualism of a personal altar. This is what God said. An altar of earth. I'm coming down the home stretch. Don't fall asleep now. Where's the beef? It's right here. An altar of earth shalt thou make unto me, and thou shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, thy peace offerings, thy sheep. This is not the brazen altar. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. Next verse. And if thou will make me an altar of stone. Hey, grab that rock. Bring it over here. Hey, see that rock? Grab it. Man, it's got, it's got jagged edges on it. Could cut somebody. I don't like the look of it. Leave it alone. God said just pick it up and use it just like it is. If thou will make an altar of stone and thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. God didn't want an altar where the imagination and the style of the human mind could say, you know, let's fashion it this way and let's go ahead and make it nice and let's put a corbel right there and let's put some fluted molding right there and let's make that nice right there. God said, no, you keep it raw. You keep it dirt. You keep it just like you found it. Clap your hands and give God the praise. For if you lift a tool upon it, you just polluted it. Why? When God showed up with tears streaming down his face, Abraham got on his knees and took his fingers and just started raking a mound, a mound of dirt. And when he built it, he laid over it. 
Romans chapter 12. Verse number one. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't have to be wearing a suit, but please be wearing something. Don't have to be wearing a suit. Don't have to have a tie. Don't have to have expensive frillies. Don't have to have expensive shoes from Nordstrom's. But once you've built, once you've amassed this representation of carnality, you lay over it. Let's lift our hands. We got any altar builders? How many people's needing direction? Could it be that direction is equal to the ability to build an altar? Pastor, how do you know that? Verse 2, Brother Andrew, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of mind, that you may prove. You may know, you may discover, where do I go next? Pastor, we just don't know what to do. Go home and build an altar. Doesn't need to be fancy. In fact, God says don't make it fancy. Make it as a mound. I'm coming down the home stretch. Abram built these mounds. They were mounds. Mounds of dirt. And Isaac built a mound of dirt. Jacob built a mound of dirt. And he added some rocks to it. He took the rock that was his pillow and put it in the mix. I'm just about done. The mounds represent mountains. And when you start building an altar, God is leading you. He doesn't give you everything at once. Doesn't give you the answers all at once. Doesn't give in everything that you have. In your impatience, God doesn't give you everything at once. And your lack of self-control does not give you everything at once. Go to that last chapter, Andrew, in Genesis. I'm almost done. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abram. Abram, you built all these mounds, all leading to a mountain. Next verse. Take now thine only son, get thee into the land of Moriah. That's really a misnomer. It's a mountain at Moriah. Mount Moriah. What happens is, Brother Anderson, is if we come to God in the condition that we're in and we continue to build altars, God will lead us to the greatest mound of all to give us the opportunity 
Now I know. Now I know that Abram really does love me because he did not withhold that little sin that I've been trying to get him to lay down and that little disobedience that I've been asking him to get rid of and that thing that he loves above everything else. I finally found out who he really loves because all those altars that he was building, I was leading him to a mountain where now I could really find out. Why? Why did God require human sacrifice? Why would God require a human sacrifice of a man that followed him and was sold out? Because he wanted to see if he would do what the world is doing for their gods. Baal and Molech in which their children were placed on the arms of burning idols. Because Abraham built an altar on Moriah. Moriah's name was changed to Zion and the city of David was built on the sides of Abraham's sacrifice. Well, we're just in it for us and we just want the blessings for our generation. We just want everything we can get out of this and we just want... No. That's not, that's not the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. The God of Abraham says, I want my children to learn how to fast. I want my children to learn how to pray. I want my children to learn how to build an altar, not go to the world, not backslide, not get carnal. I know it's acceptable to get fleshly. I know it's, it's acceptable to look at things, view things, become things, wear things. But I'm not asking them to go to the world to somehow make up for the difference between the spirit and the flesh. I want them to learn how to, when you get into a tight spot, you build an altar. You get to the church. You build, you scratch it out. You scrape it out. You amass it with your own hands. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. Abraham, because I know that you fear me, I swear by my own name. God looked over the balustrade of heaven and said, by my own name, I swear. Nobody will be more important than you from here to the end that follows me. That's why Abraham is the most often mentioned, named in the New Testament because God is saying, if you're going to follow anybody, follow Abraham. Well, pastor, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. Build an altar. You may have to push away the plate. You may, you may have to excuse yourself from running around with all the Pentecostal culture and saying, I love everybody, but i got to have this for me. They can't, they can't meet the need that I need. 
Young person, you may, have to, you may have to take your smartphone and shut it off for a day or two. Oh, what would I do? You might get a hold of God. The altar. Building an altar. Building an altar. When I first got saved, I had no, no clue how to pray. I did not know how to pray. My flesh did not want to pray. My flesh didn't want to sit still. My flesh did not want to go any deeper than what was between my ears. God had to help me. And that's why I'm still here today. And that's why we're taking new ground with an entire congregation. crude mound where we scratched it with our own fingers. Doesn't need to be fancy. But once I dig that altar, I'm going to lay over that altar. I'm going to say, God, without you, I can do nothing. Let's lift our hands today. There's many people under the sound of my voice that the Holy Ghost has been talking to you about building an altar. Taking your family nights and instead of getting silly, causing the whole family to get down and learn how to build an altar and learn that the God of Abraham is now the God of your household and the God of Isaac is now the God of your children and Jacob's God is now the God of your grandchildren. Come on, let's lift our hands. Come on, let's pray. There's Abrahams among us. There are Sarahs among us. There's Isaacs among us. There's Jacobs among us. the difference that an altar can make. I don't want to just have another altar call where we have a cycle of remorse. But I wonder if there's somebody. I wonder if there's somebody that, that felt that little something that's from another world. And you've already agreed in your spirit, you know what, God's talking to me. God is inviting me to this. This altar is open to you. Not as a place of remorse and just an afternoon of I'm sorry, but a beginning of building an altar where you get direction, where you get revelation, where you get fresh promise, where you get understanding, where God takes care of your enemies. Those that meant you harm become removed. This altar is open. I'm going to ask that we just refrain from having any music right now. And we just take this as an opportunity. 
Maybe in some cases it's just recommit. We know how to build an altar. We've been there. We've felt the evidences of it. But, but, but we've laid it aside. There, we, we've discovered there's other ways to get around having to get down and just dig it out. Let's reconsecrate and dedicate here today. God bless you. God bless you. Not just a Pentecostal denomination where everything's based on how we feel, but doing the right thing because it's in the Bible. The pattern has already been. Maybe you're visiting with us a believer of the Word of God and a believer in the things of God. Come on, this altar calls for you. You're welcome here today.